0: This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs
1: at Ohio University.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach, and my latest book is Find Your Happy at Work. In this episode, we'll be talking about how office work is being reinvented. Our guest is Kathy Kidd, an engineer who once led technical teams at FINRA, a sophisticated financial services company. Over the years, Kathy found her interest shifting from tech questions to human questions, and her leadership role at FINRA shifted from leading analytical teams to exploring better ways to lead and support people. Recently, Kathy started a new career chapter and she joined the Impact Center, where her focus is developing women leaders and helping clients create human centered work environments. Kathy will talk about how the whole workplace is being reimagined and how countless organizations are exploring ways to create and manage cultures that empower team members and allow new kinds of flexibility. And we'll discuss remote work and why it brings challenges as well as opportunities. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for being with me today here at Jazzed About Work.
1: Hi, Bev. I am really happy to join you in this conversation today. Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Well, you and I have had quite a few conversations lately because we share a fascination in what's happening with the workplace, it's just amazing how much change is going on, and and how there's potential for some really good change. But before we get into all that here on Jazzed About Work, we always like to hear about our experts' career paths. How did they get from wherever they started to where they are today? So, could you tell us a bit about your professional path, including how you found your way becoming interested in an expert in leadership?
1: I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. And I would say leadership is a a lifelong practice. (laughs) So I have the expertise for now, and there's so much more to learn. So if we go back, I'd say to the very beginning of my career, I started as a chemical engineer, And my very first job was traveling the country, going to different chemical plants supporting the chemical plants from a process safety perspective. So that involved evaluating their approach to safety, doing training, doing procedures. And it was it was quite a start to a career. Uh, I had studied chemical engineering and had never seen a chemical plant in my life. So all of a sudden, I was in all of these fascinating places, um, seeing the real-life version of what it looked like. And I was incredibly fortunate in my very first job. Uh, The leader who I got to work with quite a lot through through all of those experiences, a gentleman named Mike, was really a role model and a mentor for me for for what a great leader could be. And though I wouldn't have had the language, I'd say, back then, also for creating an experience of psychological safety. So I learned so much through getting to work with Mike and, and work with all the great people I met. And after that, I did a bit of a turn. I joined a startup company and really loved the experience of it. I was one of a five-person startup company, and we were developing technology for feedback for the voice of the customer. It was really, it was an amazing experience. I loved the idea that we were creating this thing from scratch together that it was a bit of an all hands on deck, you know, when there's only five of you, you're going to find a way to to do the work, whatever has to get done. Um, And it was also my first experience being remote. So that was in the late 90s. And this was a completely distributed company. So they were across the US and Canada, and we worked remotely and once a month got together in person. And it was really, it was a really good learning experience for me. And they're still going, which amazes me. One of the founders stayed with the company and has has continued its uh, growth. So it's fun to get to see what they've become, knowing I was I was there at the beginning. And at that point, I had been traveling probably about eight or nine years, and I really wanted to try what would it be like to work in one place and get to come home every night. So, I looked for some different opportunities, and just a friend of a friend introduced me to a f- local company that's the regulator of the financial markets. And so, I met with them. They had a couple of different jobs to offer me, and I chose to start as a business analyst with them. Knew nothing about stock markets, nothing about financial services. Uh, so, that was also a pretty steep learning curve. And yes, I- another
0: adventure.
1: Exactly. Adventure is a good, is a good theme. Um, And I am just, uh, I'll say not even chapter closing the book on that experience. I've been there 22 years, which amazes me every time I say it in a variety of leadership positions. And I am now moving on to, to my next chapter, which I'm very excited about. Tell us about the
0: next chapter, because it it feels like you've made a few big shifts, and this feels like a pretty <laughs> yes. big shift. This next yes. thing you're doing.
1: Yes, I'm, I'm getting quite practiced at big shifts. Um, I'm very excited. Yes, to, as you mentioned, we've had a lot of really great conversations around leadership. And uh, when I was in my very first job, that chemical engineering job, uh, I'd been there a couple of years. We were a consulting services group and I came into work one day and overnight uh, they laid off half of our group and they said that I was now going to be the leader of the group. And I had no experience leading people, leading teams. So it was very much a trial by fire. And I luckily, as I mentioned, had Mike as a great role model, but I also was really starting from scratch. And so when I moved to Opinion Lab, which was the startup company, uh, I had made a decision that I wasn't going to be a people leader anymore. And when I went to the financial regulator, when I chose which job I was going to work on, one of my conditions was I wasn't going to be a people leader. And ultimately, they ended up asking me to to take on leadership roles. And I think that was what has led me to my next my new chapter that I'm about to start is I've spent the last the time at, at this regulator really determining, well, what does leadership mean? What impact do leaders have in the lives of the folks that they get the opportunity to work with? How can I be better as a leader? So that's what I'm going to go do. There's this amazing um, DC company called the Impact Center, and they focus on supporting and developing leaders who identify as women. Um, and, and I first discovered them because I went through their leadership program, which I found to be just really impactful. And so I'm going to move to them and support them in their mission of helping to create and coach and support leaders who really have a vision of the, the role they want to play in the world and the impact they want to have. So that is my, my, next, my next change. Well, it seems
0: like a, a very timely change because so many organizations are looking for help. So mm-hmm. many people are looking for inspiration. The uh, a topic of some of the, the lunchtime conversations <laughs> that you and I have had the pleasure to have is <laughs> about along the lines of, wow, so much has happened since so we spoke a couple months ago, even um, yes. the world is of work, the world of office work um the world world of um, the kind of jobs that so many people in the country have is just going through dramatic change. So can you give us your sense of um, what the change is all about right now?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. We've had some <laughs> some great explorations in this in our conversations about this. I'll speak from, I say, my my lived experience. Most of my experience has been in a corporate setting and very much in a location-centric setting. You know, the expectation that folks would come into an office on a daily basis and work together in that way. And so the last couple of years, as we've navigated all of the challenges with the pandemic, it has been a wide-scale overnight shift. We literally were sent home one day. And luckily, the company I worked for, had a lot of infrastructure in place that made this very possible, but we were sent home one day and have been home for the last two and a half years. And so it it feels like it's such a unique opportunity for us to look at the ways that we work together, all the ways that we work together, where we work, when we work, how we work, with a fresh perspective. I think we've, we've learned a lot in the last couple of years. We've learned... A lot certainly around, um, there's many different, many different surveys you can look at that talk about um, many folks feeling a sense of increased well-being and increased ability to do their job more effectively because of the flexibility that when they choose to, being remote has offered them. So I think it's a very unique moment in time and companies can be looking at this as what are the benefits of the, this type of flexibility? What are the unique challenges and complexity? Because there certainly is a a fair amount of that. And what do we want to design as we move forward for folks and their workplace experience? It it feels, at least in my personal experience, a lot of how it was designed was a one size fits all. Find a way to make it work for you. And what I see as the shift is it's becoming much more individually focused. How can we create a range of ways that people can work that works as much for the individual and works for the company in, in combination? So I see it as a time of tremendous opportunity and also a, a lot to be figured out <laughs> as we as we move yeah. forward. Yeah, I, I think that
0: uh, it seems pretty clear that there are organizations that have been remote from the beginning, and Mm -hmm. everybody's remote, and they've figured out how to do it, and we all can learn from them, Um, and uh, many of them are doing it very well. But there are lots of other organizations where, for one reason or another, people need to be on site. Maybe they're dealing with customers or whatever it is. Or they choose to be on site because they feel they do better in an environment with other people. And so that brings the, pro- the prospect of hybrid organizations, which many, many um, companies and other organizations are um, struggling to be. And it turns out it's a lot harder yes. than we might have thought <laughs> yes. a year or two ago, right? <laughs> hmm So... So let's say somebody is um, maybe a listener we have out there is a leader within some big organization which is struggling to be hybrid. And this particular leader is thinking, okay, I can't control how this plays out, but I want to be the best leader I can from my team, which looks like it's going to be a mixed team. What would you say are some of the things uh, you need to think about if you are structuring a hybrid team, particularly if you can't control the big picture.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I think there's a couple of places to start and certainly so much more to be learned and added in. When I think about, especially if it's a company that was very, you know location centric and they've now moved to a, a hybrid model, There's so many of the ways that we work together when we're location-centric that have become our habits for how we do work. And we need to really examine those and think about what are the new ways that we work together to ensure that folks that choose to be in the physical office have a really great experience and folks that choose to be remote to some extent also have a really great experience. Presenteeism bias to me is one of the biggest challenges that these companies will face because when you're very practiced at everyone doing things together physically, it's gonna be very easy to fall back on those practices once some of the folks are back in the office. So I think really thinking through when you are communicating anything about work you're doing together, Uh, how you work together are you making sure that everyone has the same opportunity to get that communication so for example if you have a meeting together and you've got some folks in the room as folks are leaving the room are you continuing the conversation about the project because the folks who are remote now don't get to experience that information and be a part of it so it's going to take some shift in how we think about when we communicate how we communicate if you're inviting folks to participate in a meeting and it's a hybrid experience, how are you ensuring that the folks in the room and the folks that are on the, the video are communicating together? That can often become more centric to the room and the folks in the, that aren't as, as present in the room not being focused on as much. And also the flip side, If the bulk of the folks are are remote and there's only a couple of folks physically located, how do you make sure that they get to be engaged? So I think the words that keep coming to my mind are design and intention, thinking about the ways that we're doing this and thinking if they still serve in a hybrid world or if they need to shift. And the other thing I think that's most, most critical is making sure you're making time for feedback. So for the folks that are remote and for the folks that are in person, asking them about their experience, their work experience, what's going well, what needs to shift. I think we need to be really adaptive as we learn how to do this together. So the more folks feel safe sharing their their honest opinions and letting you know what needs to shift, then the leaders can, can make sure they're shifting as we go. And the other thing that you pointed to that I think is so important is there's a lot of companies that have been doing this really well for quite a while. What are the practices they already have in place that we can learn from?
0: Well, the ones that are doing it well, I suspect, um, have really worked on f- uh, feedback and language and delivery mechanisms. Yes, because very much. Tone is so difficult when you're not face-to-face sometimes. And if you're sending a snappy um, email, it can sound really negative when really it's just quick and friendly. So uh, it'd be interesting to to learn from those. Do you think some companies have pretty precise protocols about these things, don't they?
1: I'd say both protocols in the sense of the how they will share information, how they will uh, make things much more explicit where they might have been implicit before. And also uh, tr- training of, you know, when you're, when you're communicating electronically, there's so much more of a risk for things to be misinterpreted or, like you said, a tone be perceived that wasn't intended to be there. So I think it's also learning uh, how to make sure we, we minimize that as much as possible and make sure that there there are those live conversations happening. That it that it's a mix of communication, not solely relying on the electronic communication, which is a bit more prone to to risk. So my um, sense is that
0: there's going to be more pressure on individual professionals to communicate with their peers, even if. The uh, business discussions are pretty controlled, so people aren't doing a lot of offline brainstorming or things like that. There's something about um, the nature of people that things happen when a kind of a family or collegial attitude develops that don't happen without that attitude. And what I keep thinking about is uh, back in the the olden days when I was a young <laughs> lawyer, and there were not many young lawyers around. Uh, and I, those of us who were in that Washington environment of Washington law firms and lobby shops and all of those kind of things talked about this in great length, because we were at such a, a disadvantage. Uh, the, the men in the law firm or the organization would play golf, they'd go out drinking together with their clients or their industry colleagues, there was, it was a a pretty social environment. And we were not comfortable, or I would say mostly we were not wise to to try to push our way into those uh, bar runs and things like that. So what tended to happen is it's not that um, they were talking business when they were out on the golf course, it's they were getting to know each other and they were noticing strengths with the younger people so that when opportunities came along that say oh so and so uh, we should put him uh, with this client because he went to this university and the CEO went to that university and it's that other kind of information that um, made it um, so much easier for the men to uh, be included in opportunities be included in kind of conversations that might lead to something new. And I I think organizations are going to be working on that, but sometimes it's going to have to be up to the individual, I think, to just keep looking for ways to connect with colleagues, even if they're kind of introverted and don't feel like it. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, completely. Yeah, very, very much so. I think as we've, as we've talked about, you know, all of the tremendous benefits of, of these, options for how we could work together. One of the things we know is a challenge in that environment is building and sustaining relationships. When, When you're physically in a location where you can walk past someone, or often, you know, at the start or the end of the meeting, there's more social kind of conversation happening, which is I've been fascinated by, as I've seen us, at least I can speak to my experience, move fully remote. I saw us stop doing that in the virtual conversations, even though there's no reason it, it needed to stop. So I absolutely see intentionally putting effort into building and sustaining relationships is critical, both at the organizations, creating ways that people can connect, as well as an individual responsibility. You know, for me knowing how important these relationships are to me, I keep a list of all the folks I want to make sure I'm keeping in contact with. And I look at it every week and I say, well, who, who are the folks I'm connecting with this week? Because those relationships are really important, not only to me personally, but as you're saying, that's how we, we learn about their strengths. We learn about things that are going on at the company. So I think it's both. I think organizations designing inclusive opportunities. I, I lived in a, in a company setting that's very similar to what you're describing, where the opportunities to be included were pretty much golf. Um, so broadening ways that people can be social from an organization perspective, making sure that there's lots of different ways and absolutely completely agree with you. It's a personal, it's a personal choice as well. How do we make sure that we're making space for that when we're doing our work?
0: We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. When I um, decided to work remotely um, many years ago, when I shifted from being a, a corporate executive and having a big team and traveling a lot in groups and things like that, and decided I wanted to um, do something different and also travel less, less, I. Um, uh, moved out most of the time to our farmhouse, way apart from people. And I started coaching very often by phone when it was still kind of rare. And I found that um, I really missed my team. I missed actually being with people, but that if I could um, develop relationships that were not business Uh, related in the sense of being in the same company, but gave me a chance to talk with interesting people. That gave me the energy to be better at connecting remotely with potential clients and things like that. So I have, for years, kind of noted down... um, Events where I might meet people, or somebody interesting I met that I didn't want to lose track of. And in a way, that's how you and I connected, isn't it? It we is. We yeah. saw each other it on LinkedIn is. or something, yep. mm-hmm. and we both had lists and we got on each other's list, I guess. <laughs> exactly. We made an I love effort. that. I love that. That's wonderful. So it does take being intentional, as you said.
1: Mm hmm. That's a great point you made too. Is it? It also the the more I do it, the more I want to do it. You know, it brings me energy. It helps me remember. Oh, this is such a great way to spend my time. So the the doing of it helps reinforce the doing of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, we've learned some things about being kind of extroverted and social, and introverted and wanting to be alone each ourselves during the, the pandemic because of something I've noticed with myself and with a lot of my clients. and you know, the great thing about coaching, one of the many is that you can hear what's happening in other people's heads and you realize, oh, it's not just me, you know that a lot of this is going around. But what tended to happen often is even with people who are pretty extroverted, pretty social, they kind of got comfortable, not connecting and they've made less and less effort. And, um, I found myself, you know, pretty happy staying at home with my husband and my dog and outdoor activity. And I just said, Oh, I I don't really want to do this. I don't want to go to that zoom cocktail party. I, this is kind of nice, but, but it wasn't making me happier. It was making me more, Oh, I guess, um, reluctant to do interesting things did that ever happen to you
1: oh absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think i think like as you're describing it it became very comfortable and and certainly requires some energy to to break out of it so i've i've found um you know i've been sort of slowly re-emerging <laughs> you know it's just one step at a time and you know with with Different ways to reemerge, and I, I think that's also something that I've I've found really helpful is that there's lots of ways you can connect. So I tended to initially just think of connection as you know being in person with someone or or being on the phone, um, but also thinking of you know it can be an email, it can be a LinkedIn message, it can be a quick text message. You know, thinking of you because I heard something. So. I found sort of broadening my thoughts of, of what connection meant um, was another way that I could ease back in. Yeah. But absolutely, I found some very similar experience. I, I think that's also a bit of a a benefit from what has been an incredibly challenging time is there's more, you know, being high on the introvert scale myself, there's been a lot more conversation about extroversion versus introversion that I think has been really helpful because it's brought forward a, a more nuanced conversation of what's a work experience that supports each of those types of um, a- approaches and what works best for people, just like there's been an expanded conversation around all different types of diversity and, and uniqueness that, that folks experience. I feel like coming out of this, there's there's more conversation about Just as a simple example, a lot of the work I was doing was meeting focused. And meetings, the way they were designed, were very much tailored towards extroverts. So there's been a lot more conversation about what would make this a great experience in a way that the introverts in the room could really feel that they could participate from their perspective. So as much as it's been a challenge to, I'll say, reemerge, I think there's also been some benefits to, to what folks are now talking about.
0: Yes. And, and what we're seeing is uh, organizations are consciously shifting their culture to be much more supportive of their employees and much more supportive of their uh, employees' ability to work together and, and make connections. And, and, and that reminds me that I don't want to leave without talking about a concept that you mentioned earlier in passing, that that I think is part of what's going to be the new culture and part of what we can all be aware of, and that is psychological safety. I know that's an issue you've been thinking about. Can you give us um, some examples of why psychological safety within a team is so important and um, how we can help uh, it
1: develop? Oh, I'd be happy to. As, As you know, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, Let me start a little bit with what psychological safety is. Um, When I I look at the different work experiences that I had, there were were some experiences where I felt I was really fully contributing. My thoughts, my concerns, my questions, being able to challenge ideas, and there were others where I, I could see myself either holding back or feeling diminished in the experience. And I never really could put my, hand, my finger on, what, what is that? And so when I discovered psychological safety, which has been more recently brought forward and really expanded through the work of Amy Edmondson and, and research, a lot of research has happened around it, it really is the foundation that then makes everything possible when people come together to work as a team. So when a team is experiencing a high degree of psychological safety, that means all the folks on the team can really fully contribute all that they have to offer as well as learn from failures that happen along the way which are just a, a normal part of how we work together so it's something i've been i've been very personally invested in because i know it has made a difference when i've experienced it as well as there's just a, a wealth of research out there that shows the strong connection between high psychological safety experiences and innovation, team performance, well-being of the individual. So lots of reasons why it why it matters. And so I've been diving into it a bit more deeply recently. Um, got to work with a wonderful group, uh, Aristotle Performance, and they've helped me really understand a lot more of the, the tools and the practices that are available to both learn what the current experience of psychological safety is on a team, as well as ways that you can improve it. And very much, it feels very similar to, to leadership as a practice, right, there's, there's lots to discover, very similar. There's lots of ways we can help people improve psychological safety on their team. Um, so what can feel as if it's a bit nebulous, um, no, there's a lot of action you can take that will make a, a real tangible impact to the experience people have.
0: Well, a lot of it is about language and um, tone and questioning and um, how uh, leaders uh, respond to individuals. Give us a, a couple of suggestions. Say Somebody's got a team there um, and they're thinking about um, how they want to enhance the psychological safety, but they, they want to develop some habits that will help them do that. Um one of the habits, I will mention one, then I'll ask you to um, have some. One really important habit for a leader or a colleague is to be able to accept critical feedback without being defensive and jumping on the person who gave it to you. So if a team leader, um, can learn to kind of calm their inner defensiveness, kind of let it go a second, take a breath and respond with curiosity instead of with defense. If a team, a colleague or a direct report says something that sounds critical. So if somebody says, um, uh, gosh, I, I think you are off your game today, which isn't a very nice thing to hear. If you can take a breath instead of saying, what do you mean? But saying, thank you for noticing that. Um, I, you know, I had a, had a really busy time and I probably need to take a break. You know, say something that's real conversation and, instead of a uh, knee jerk reaction. Is That's one of the kinds of things you can do, right? Is deal with absolutely. feedback you're getting.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You've hit on it perfectly, Bev. The the, f- the three phases of psychological safety, setting the stage, inviting participation, and what you're describing perfectly there is how to respond productively. So when someone offers their thoughts, their opinions, their questions, shares their mistakes, are you responding in a way that promotes their experience of psychological safety? So yeah, that's a, that's a great example of one way to impact it. A, a couple of others I'll offer, and there's there's many, many ways. Um, I, I really enjoyed your podcast with Mark Capone, and it talked a lot about a coaching culture from a leadership perspective. That is also woven through psychological safety, which is more an openness to asking coaching type of questions as opposed to a Directive, I'm an expert um, type of a, an approach to leadership. So I would say a coaching culture is a key part of psychological safety. Uh, also, when when diving into psychological safety, um, I would highly recommend The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson. It, it has some great foundational ideas as well as tangible actions you can take. Creating team working agreements, I think, is one of the most powerful ways you can impact psychological safety and that they're co-created by the team with a facilitator helping them to create them. That's something we've done quite a bit of, as well as doing psychological safety uh, surveys. So it's a way to, to get a pulse of the current experience of psychological safety for the team. And then it's a facilitated conversation with the team about what's working great. What might you want to adjust? And I love the way you framed it. All of these are really to set a foundation of habits. So how to make it a central ongoing conversation. These are sort of catalysts to spark the conversation. Um, and I think also the, the last thing I'd add, leaders have a huge impact on psychological safety. The words they use, how they treat people, um, the model of leadership that people are learning by being on their team, But the team members also really play a big role. So even if you're not formally the leader in the group as a team member, there's a lot you can do when someone offers, do you appreciate what they offer? Uh, Do you, if you have some sort of, you know, misstep and psychological safety isn't quite working, which is going to happen, we're all human, do you talk about it so that you can repair it? And do you speak up? Because you can be the model for others. If others see you speak up in the team environment and see you get treated respective, respectfully and appreciatively, they're going to be a little more comfortable speaking up because of your example. And when that
0: happens, uh, if you're looking at uh, organizations totally pragmatically, say you're a really bottom line person, you still want to promote psychological safety because when people... When everybody um, is free to offer ideas, when people with diverse backgrounds can get involved in brainstorming, when all of the information can flow, and nobody's afraid to make a good suggestion, that's when innovation happens. That's when collaboration starts to warm up. So it's a it's a something of great interest to to many organizations that are really trying to figure out how they're going to. Um, Uh, thrive even in situations where the market is difficult well i just looked at the time um, and i think as always we could keep talking for a long time but (laughs) i uh, i want to thank you uh, for this conversation and um, you know i I think there's still plenty of things to talk about so I, i look forward to our next lunch
1: I I do as well, Bev. This this is always so much fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed getting to be a part of this. Um, And if folks were listening, if anyone has interest in these kind of conversations, please feel free to reach out to me anytime. And I look forward to our next lunch, Bev. I always learn so much. So thank you.
0: Today, we've been talking with workplace and leadership expert, Kathy Kidd, about how the modern workplace is about flexibility and empowerment. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that workplace flexibility, comes with challenges, and if you're working remotely, it might be smart to make a special effort to build connection with your team members. Thanks for listening to us. Please tell your friends about Jazzed About Work and come back soon.